Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Marcus Sally has his thoughts on how the movie industry has changed over the last decade. And Race and Chew chimes in with the best pro wrestlers of the last 10 years. All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. All right, and we're back once again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald coming right back at you here with more great decade talk for pop culture. I've had so many great guests over the course of the past month talking about their favorite things that have moved them in pop culture this past decade. And I have another great guest here today. He has (laughs) nothing but expertise going on when it comes to the film world and also as well anything cinematic going on because he is the host or one of the hosts of popcorn prattle you got to find it today anywhere you can get your podcasts it is a good man indeed it's mr marcus sally and marcus just so great to have you back on the show talking movies movies movies. it well thank you for having me back it is wonderful uh to be back especially talking about all these movies in the past decade because um as i was doing my research just like finding out like okay what what did come out in this past um, in this past decade? This was a great, great past ten years of movies and movies that I was like, oh my god, that did come out um, <laughs> within the last ten years. You're right. There's a lot of movies that, especially we we think, and I did have this discussion as well uh, earlier this month when it concerns video games. That there were a lot of titles around 2010, 2011 that. I didn't even know there were, you know, I, I remember as being spectacular games that I didn't even know came out this decade. I, they felt like they came out, but you know, the previous decade and the same thing goes for movies here. I'm like, Oh, that came out in 2010. Oh, that mm-hmm. came out in 2011. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. So I, I know there's a lot of great films that you want to go ahead and cover. So, you know, the floor is yours, my friend. I just want to hear what you have to say when it concerns the best films to you this past mm-hmm. decade. So right out of the gate, um, I've got to I've got to make a commentary on just like the type of films that came out because it wasn't just I mean, as much as I feel like this past decade is going to be defined by a lot of comic book movies, there were so many just great pieces on just being a human being that came out in the past decade, uh, thinking about movies like Birdman, 
Black Swan, Whiplash, The Social Network, The Fighter. Well, The Social Network especially, that is something, just like I mentioned, something that came out at the very beginning of the decade, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people would think, hey, okay, that came out like in 2008, 2009. No, it came out in 2010, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it did. And it was an extremely important film at its point in time because Facebook was really hitting a high point at Mm -hmm. that time. You know, Twitter and all the other social medias really hadn't really hit their stride yet. It was just Facebook, really, for that all all intents and purposes. MySpace Mm -hmm. was going bye-bye, and the importance at that time of that film was definitely something worth worth watching. And those are great films. I'll, you know, not to discount any of the films on your list. Those yeah. are other great films you have mentioned as well. Whiplash. Uh, you know, how is J.K. Simmons relevant today? It's because of the fact that Whiplash boosted him up. And it's one of those things where you have a supporting actor who does a number of things. Uh, you know, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was known as J. Jonah Jameson. He was doing oh, other right. stuff, but he never really hit that plateau as a as an artist. Mm-hmm. And all it took is one role. And you've yeah. seen that before, my friend. I think countless times where it just takes that one role that catapults that individual to a higher plateau, gets them the appreciation I think they deserve. Well, you you know you look at also Michael Keaton even um, with Birdman, and exactly it brought him back to life, and now he he's got a lot of premium roles because of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean he he was definitely um, cropping up all over the past decade. I I and I and I might be getting this wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm right though. Um, but didn't the other guys also come out in this past decade? Absolutely. Uh, I think even Black Swan as well. Black Swan is something that I think goes under the radar. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the time, it was really a very beloved movie. I mean, it's obviously got critical acclaim. And it, it is a movie that came out in 2010 that, uh, like you said, like we said, one of those great movies on the fringe of this decade that really, for its time, mm-hmm. I think it's something that's going to be remembered as one of the best films of the decade. Absolutely. And again, just again, just looking through some of these pieces and like I'm I'm like still adding to my list as far as like, God, that was such a good movie. Um, I, I literally just added Inception, which also it, that that kicked off this decade of just of just seeing a movie. I mean, I matter of fact, I remember the trailer and just being like, I have no idea what's happening in this movie. Those special all. effects was revolutionary for its time, mm-hmm. and you, you're just blown away by it. It's like if there's a film at that point in time you wanted for IMAX that wasn't named Avatar, I mm-hmm. think that would have been the movie. Yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I mean, that was to me that was even the first movie that I ever saw that I I understood. Now I'm like, you know what? There are certain movies that you just have to see on a certain screen. You know, you there are certain movies that you have to see in 3D. You know, thinking about, you know, kind, kind of going into, because it's inevitable in this decade, to talk about some of these, uh, uh, you know, superhero movies. I remember making it like a rule. Like if I'm going to go see a Marvel movie, it has to be in 3D because that, because they're making it for that experience. You know, and and some and obviously some movies 
try to do the 3D thing. And of course, it you know, they crashed and burned. But then you would have movies like, you know, like Avengers, really any of the Avengers movies, um, the Guardians movies. These were all movies that just like, you're like, I, I have to see it on the biggest screen possible in 3D because I want to feel like I'm actually like in the action. Exactly. And, you know, as the advancement in technologies have taken place and sound has become better and mm -hmm. visuals have become more crisp, more sharp, uh, special effects, green screen techniques have just become a l even better than mm -hmm. they have been before. Uh, you know, it's just so much more, like you said, of an immersive experience. Although at some point in time, it's going to get even more experience. Uh, hopefully by the time you and I, you know, <laughs> before before we go ahead and push up some daisies, sort of, right. <laughs> that we will be able to experience that. Not let's say, you know, put on some glasses like VR, but we will be able to sit in a point in time where we'll be able to go into a theater or some type of, of you know, a place and mm -hmm. experience the movie in uh, like you're there, you know, 100%. I, I, would, I would welcome that day indeed. Well, I think we are, I think they are, I think Hollywood is, is starting to experiment with that, you know, thinking about, um, because I, because the one thing I noticed about these lists is that you think about the Netflix movie Bandersnatch, where you get to choose the ending. And I know in the, in the theater community, we are really starting to experiment with the idea of immersive theater, where instead of just passively watching a play, you're in it and almost like a D&D-esque experience where, you know, you'll go to a house and it's literally you and one other person. And that's a play. You're watching this play um, and they're talking with you and they're interacting with you. Um, and I'm and I'm just wondering when when is that moment going to happen within film? Because because I feel like they are pushing the boundaries. They are experimenting. They are realizing like, you know, we've got to do, we got to push the envelope. We have to show the next big thing. Um, and I think that the next big thing could very well be VR technology. I don't know if it'll be in the next decade. It would be cool if it was, <laughs> but I think they're already experimenting with it with things like Bandersnatch where it's like, hey, are people interested? Will people sit down for a couple of hours and, and watch this. And I know I, just on a whim, I was like, I'll just do one run through and I'll be done. And I ended up doing, I ended up playing for like, I got home at three. I didn't stop until I think eight o'clock <laughs> is when I finally was like, I think I've tried every option. <laughs> well, you've headed right on the head as far as that you know, immersiveness is something that maybe the movie industry has to go to because in the, you know, starting in the next decade, because as you have seen with box office results, people are getting more selective about which movies they go see over the course of a given year, because mm -hmm. the box office numbers are trending a little bit down year in year out because people are not as willing to spend that much money, 15, 20, $25, $40, mm -hmm. you know, by the time, and if you've got a family of four, sometimes up to a hundred dollars or even more for an entire movie experience, because they'll say, Hey, I'll just wait six months. I'll wait right. for the, uh, wait for the Blu-ray or I'll wait for it to go to Disney plus Netflix, Hulu, or one of the other streaming services that are competing for all these movies once they get off the box office. So they're, like you said, the movie industry is going to have to go ahead and come up with 
innovative new ideas in order to keep people flowing into the movie theater on a regular basis. Well, one thing, one thing that I think is going to definitely help. And I think that, um, you know, as in, and we've, and I've talked about it on my own show where, you know, we've talked about this monster known as Disney taking over everything. But I said, you know what though? The thing is that Disney also recognizes that eventually it's going to get old. It's going to get tired. We have to keep pushing the envelope. And I, and I love the idea um, with the with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I love the idea that they're going into the next decade with, which is, okay, so we're going to show you a movie and you're going to go because you because you already we already know you're going to go to the to the Marvel movie. It's going to break a record. Everyone's going to love it. Some people will hate it. It's going to be whatever. But the, but the little caveat is, and this is my theory, and I'm, I'm really excited for Black Widow because I really want to see if they do something like this. My, They've already said rumor, or Kevin Feige has already said rumors that the movies would feed into the TV shows and the TV shows would feed into the movies. So you're getting this new, you're getting like a legitimately new way of storytelling because, okay, you watch the movie. Now take that move, take this one little nugget that we showed you in the movie and we're going to make that the driving plot now in our TV show. And I think that that is, I think that's a very smart way to get people invested in new characters or to get people invested in new stories. You take them from the TV show and then boom, you put them right into the movies. And then from the movies, because you don't want to, you don't want to crank out, you know, two, three movies a year um, because you, I mean, what if you, what if it bombs or what if a character is not as strong? That's okay. Put them in a TV show, lower budget. It's already on our. It's already on our streaming service. You lead them right there, and people. I feel like people are more apt to watch movies that maybe they wouldn't want to spend. Like you said, well, they wouldn't want to spend twenty dollars to go to the movies. I, for one, when I the first thing I did when I bought when I got Disney Plus was, of course, I watched The Mandalorian, which is awesome. Um, this is the way. <laughs> hmm? This is this is the way. Oh, of course. This is this is the way I have spoken. <laughs> baby Yoda, baby Yoda. <laughs> I I love I love that show. I just I love the world. It's like finally we're we're seeing something other than just Skywalkers. Um, it's great. But then once they once they showed me episode one, I was like, okay, well, um, I don't really feel like watching Gargoyles again just yet. I don't really want to watch DuckTales again just yet because um, it's overwhelming to see all of these like nostalgia things. You're like, ah, what do I want to watch first? So I watched Lady and the Tramp, the live action movie. And I, and I told my friends, I said, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I, as the consumer, was more apt to watch Lady and the Tramp and loved it because I didn't feel like I spent a whole bunch of money going to the theater, or time for that matter, to go to the theater, to watch Lady and Tramp, to feel kind of awkward, to be like, uh, like I'm seeing Lady and Tramp by myself. But if I'm in the comfort of my own home, I'm like, oh, man, this is romantic. This is great. I'm laughing. I'm like sitting there. I'm singing along. And it's like, oh my God, they got me. 
they did exactly what I thought they would do, and they got me. And I'm like, more, more, uh, uh, more film studios, more, more people in Hollywood need to take advantage of these streaming services because their movies are going to be more successful. Save, save the movie theater. Save it for like those big. A blockbuster movies that people are gonna like line up to see and see like ten times, but then take those movies, take those movies like like her for instance, or movies like Whiplash, movies like Birdman. Those were great movies. I feel like only ten people have ever seen those movies in the theaters, at least. Right, but and they and they really got traction. Like of course, like after they after they got you know, put on Blu-ray and people get them on Redbox or they came on TV. And I'm like, but here's the thing. Almost everybody has some sort of, some form of streaming service now. Put those movies, put them on to, put them on the streaming services and just watch how much people are like, oh my God, have you guys seen Whiplash? Like, it's a great movie. Oh, where is it? It's on Netflix. You can, like, give me your phone right now. I will put it in your queue so that you can watch it today. And it just, it irks me. It irks me when a movie gets overshadowed by, you know, it, and admittedly, it's, I mean, it's still a much beloved movie, but it irks me when, like, yeah, oh, we can't put it out this weekend. Why? Uh, because there's an Avengers movie and everyone's going to go see it and no one's going to want to see uh, The Shape of Water. Um, even though, again, different type of movie but just as, just as good, just as impactful. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. And you're going to yeah. see that situation with Jumanji and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker coming out the weekend that we're talking about this and Jumanji coming out the weekend before. And they're going to dominate the December totals. And you have all these other Academy Award hopefuls, such as 1917, Marriage Story. You also have Uncut Gems. You still have Knives Out. You still have all these movies that are vying for these, these top 10 best of films for the entire year. That mm-hmm. in some cases, like Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood's latest, had mm-hmm. some hopes in that and it got crushed. So yeah. now it not only is not going to earn a dollar at the box office or enough for the studio to be happy with it at all, it's probably going to lose money. But it's also going to probably not get any acclaim because of the tepid response at the box office from the general fan at large. And you're mm-hmm. going to see more and more cases like this before the month is over. And this happens seemingly every year. In fact, during the course of the year, there were several movies. I can name a great movie that's going to be most likely on my top 10 list, mm-hmm. Booksmart, that <gasps> simply got crushed. Oh my gosh, the yes. box and, and that was a well-made movie, very funny, and, mm-hmm. and just simply got crushed at the box office because it came out in the middle of summer and and didn't get the type of, of love from the public relations standpoint that it should have. And because of that, you know, it will still be on some top 10 lists here and there, but it will probably get zero consideration because of the fact it got crushed at the box office. Exactly. And that's, and that's 
one and that's the biggest reason why i'm i'm a firm supporter in like you know put those movies put those movies that are not going to be able to compete put them on the streaming services everybody's got them and i don't think it's a i don't think it's a coincidence that you know ryan reynolds just put out uh six underground yeah because um, that movie with the, you know the michael bay and I, I actually got a chance to see that that movie would have never made it uh in the theaters no <laughs> and, but, but now you have people in social media at begging for a sequel to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i remember um always be my maybe i remember coming home just exhausted from work and I was like, I just want to watch something funny. And I turned on and I and I was like scrolling through Netflix. And I was like, oh, I guess I can watch this. And I saw that movie and I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, that looks cute. That looks funny. Let's watch this. I, I watched it and I said, this movie is so good. And then it and then my heart sank. And I said, thank God it came out on Netflix and not in theaters. Because that move, because you're right. Once people started watching it on Netflix, they started tweeting about it. And then next thing you know, it's trending worldwide. And people are like, ooh, I want to watch that. What is that? You know? That's exactly what I said when I watched the movie. What is that? Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically Netflix saying to Michael Bay, you know what? We think you were kind of conservative in the Transformer movies. So here, Go ahead. Here's some money. Go <laughs> ahead and make a movie that you want to. And my goodness, it did. It was a. It was an experience to say the least. I'll, I'll give it that much. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not for the squeamish, and it's also not for people who don't like those quick cuts all throughout the movie because it can give you a headache pretty fast. But yeah, even as it may, Ryan Reynolds was basically good enough for them to propel it to to an okay status. But that's a quick review of Six Underground. I mean, I think if you just want a dare I say it, popcorn flick, then I think there you go right there. But Netflix, see, that's the type of movie, though, that's a nice palate cleanser for mm-hmm. all the artsy and all the Academy Award uh, consideration type movies with, with the two Pope. Dolomite is my name. Also as well, Marriage Story. Also mm-hmm. the, the Irishman. All those big, heavy movies, they need something else to uh, you know, uh, you know, offset that as a fun mm-hmm. movie for audiences. And I think that's the key. And they're very smart about how they line that up and stack that up against the opening of Disney plus in order to go ahead and show consumers, Hey, we might not have the kids market yet. Although we are now going to have a uh, Nickelodeon type deal coming up in the future. Cause they made a right. deal with Nickelodeon, but not right now, but in the future, but right now we can throw out more stuff for adults that Disney plus can't match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was looking over, I was looking over my list as far as just the type of movies that I was I was considering. And then of course I added I added other movies that we had just mentioned, like like Book Smart, which, you know, it's just uh I was like, I was so I was mad at myself, kicked myself, because I was like, why did I not see this in theaters? Because I ended up watching it on Hulu. Um, and I was like, I was thankful that it was on Hulu. I was like, oh, Book Smart, yeah, I'm gonna watch this. And it was absolutely hysterical. Um, but there were, you know, there was, there's a lot of movies that came out in this past decade. I have to say this. They just, it was like the time of, when I think of like 90s movies 
or like early 2000s movies. It's a lot. It's they are a lot of them are popcorn flicks. And maybe that and maybe I just wasn't too into movies too much, but I felt I feel like the I feel like in the early 2000s and late 90s, there were there weren't these movies that I was just like no one's talking about this and yet I feel compelled to go see it. Movies like Three Billboards, Bad Times at the El Royale, like these movies that I'm just like, I just like, I'm like, I just love watching like uh, character studies. That's the word I'm looking for. These character studies of these people going through life and you're sitting there and you're watching them and you're relating to them or you're saying like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like, how could we ever do this? And then he, then see, then hearing um, other stories on top of that, you know, seeing more stories about women, hearing more stories about people of color and it being socially acceptable or breaking records, things like Black Panther, uh, movies like Wonder Woman, um, Moonlight, Three Billboards even, of just these movies, these character study pieces that are just like, you know, thank you for for finally giving these movies a chance, letting these stories be told. And then kind of like breaking that barrier down of saying like, hey, these movies will make you money. And if that's what you're concerned about, if that was your logic, if that was your reasoning, which for some people, it's probably like, you know, there was probably other reasons. But if that's your reasoning that, oh, these movies just aren't going to make enough money, this decade showed those movies in particular can make money. They can win Oscars. They can get people to go to the theater because it is hard. Like you said, it is hard to get people to want to spend twenty dollars to go see a movie nowadays once again i'm talking to marcus sally you got to check out his great film podcast today that's popcorn prattle it's available everywhere you get your podcasts all right my friend we've talked a lot about great stuff today when it concerns the changing times the way the industry has has changed over the course of the past decade and where it might go in the future or and where we would like it to go anyways (laughs) I want to ask you this, though. You mentioned and you touched on briefly on some of the films that moved you over the course of the decade. Mm-hmm. Is there any one, two, or three movies that you feel are head and shoulders above the rest? All right. So give me a second. So I've got to go. I've got to go with my new number one. And I've got to go with that one there. And I think I have to go with, I have to go with this one here. And I have to preface it with this. Yes, these are comic book movies, but these are movies that I feel, they didn't just change comic book movies as a whole. It was more of, they they changed the way we look at films today. So right out of the gate, I have to put up number. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go three, two, one. So number three um, was Black Panther, and I have to say Black Panther because it was this movie that I looked at it and I said, you know what? I love this because thank you for bringing nerd culture to the black community and also saying it is not just for white people. That we we as a people we as a culture 
can be in this comic book universe and be just as cool, just as amazing as everybody else. People can say what they want about Black Panther, but it did change the game. The other game, awkward segue, would be Endgame. Uh, that movie, again, just a culmination of, we started the decade with Avengers and we ended it with, well, sort of ended it with Endgame. To trust your audience to keep up with 10 years worth of movies and then say, here is the magnum opus, here is our victory lap with Endgame. That's amazing, that's impressive. I don't care if you love Marvel movies or not, give them respect where it's due. They 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 had a goal, they they made it, let's move on. The last one was, again, was uh, another Marvel movie, Spider-Verse, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That was the first, one of the, I, my top tier animated movies where I'm like, this movie feels like it is not just a cartoon. It feels like it is just a regular movie, one that I can, you know, get behind. And the fact that it was so diverse, something that, you know, I felt like every kid that ever watched that movie felt like, oh my God, that's me up there. Oh, I can be that character. Oh, I can be that person. The fact that it ends with the line, even you can wear the mask. I think that is so powerful. And I think that, again, I think that those three movies combined, it just allow it, they change the game enough that more stories can be told, not just comic book stories, but everyone's story can be told in the next decade. And you know, with all the stuff that's coming out at the end of the year, all of the rise of Skywalker talk that's going to be <laughs> on the way from your show and all of the Academy Award or best of movies lists that, you know, I'm sure your crew is going to go ahead and talk about over the next episodes that are coming up in the near future. Popcorn Prattle is a can't miss podcast. So everybody should check it out today on every major podcast format, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and let's not forget Spotify as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. Because I heard the other day, I was reading something that Spotify is now more popular than Apple Podcasts in Canada. So I'm like, okay, got to talk some Spotify there. There you go. <laughs> hey, that's the, it's really the only way I listen to the podcast nowadays. Oh, did you get that list of what you listened to for the period of time? I mean, everybody seems to be that's on Spotify just talking about that. I I did not actually. I'm afraid to look at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I know. I know what I listen to a lot, but I was like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to see where we where we fall. I'm gonna finally. I'm gonna look at it. Maybe. I have to get. I have to get a little bit of the bubbly in me. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It was me. I'd probably read ten thousand minutes of just hearing me do promos. So. That would probably be a very bad thing indeed. So it just, yeah, my promos are just, you know, they're there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but anyways, I tell you what, it's just been so great having you on. Uh, I want to wish you and the entire team at Popcorn Prattle the best of holiday seasons. I cannot thank you enough for stopping by and thank not you. only in 2020, but going forward, I'd love to have you on again in the future for shows so we can talk about more great pop culture stuff more great movie talk or anything else you want to talk about when it concerns pop culture. Please do. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to come back. Absolutely. You know, you're always welcome. And it's so great to hear your thoughts right here on the pop culture cosmos. 
Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. We are back once again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. Well, we've been breaking down so much when it comes to the best in pop culture this decade. And you know I couldn't have a list of pop, cult, uh, pop culture for the decade without pro wrestling and oh, you know, sports entertainment or whatever they want to call it today. It is pro mm-hmm. wrestling, sports entertainment. We're going to have the breakdown of the best wrestlers of the decade. But here to do that, plus also... His thoughts on All Elite Wrestling as it stands now as we end out the year and go into a new decade is a good man indeed. you got to go ahead and check out his show, The Regacy Show, available on Anchor Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts out there. It's awesome indeed because it covers a wide range of topics and he has some great interviews and conversations. So you got to check it out today, The Regacy Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, it's a great time uh, every time I talk to him. It is Mr. Rayson Chu, and Rayson, it's just so great to have you back on once again. Well, thank you, man. It's really my honor and pleasure to be back here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's going to be a fun conversation that we're going to have, and I can't wait to actually get started. At this point in time, it looks pretty good for All Elite Wrestling. AEW Dark, right now it averages from what I'm seeing as far as the the YouTube videos account is concerned, about half of what their weekly viewership is, around four to 500,000, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I still think yep. that they should have gone the old traditional route with AEW Dark and, and syndicated it throughout the world. I don't know if they do that in, in as far as outside the US, uh, but mm-hmm. because it goes on YouTube first, I kind of think they have a missed opportunity there. I think they should have gone ahead and syndicated out to local broadcast networks around the world. I think they would have gotten a larger viewership from that. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you know that they, there are some good points, I just don't want them to get every single WWE rehash that's out there. I do want them to mm-hmm. build a better roster because you and I both know, and this is something you and I talked about before previously on All Elite <clears> Wrestling, <throat> is that yep. they would suffer initially from a lack of depth, from a lack of uh, wrestlers yeah. that are perceived, whether it's their look, mm-hmm. their style, or their skill level, to be what the regular casual fan would perceive to be someone that is a top level or attractive star to watch on any given night. So, and they still suffered from that somewhat. I think that, you know, after you get by the first 10 to 15 wrestlers, it's kind of iffy when you concern, uh, when you talk about what type of product that they have, but they are growing. Mm -hmm. But the concern I have is just that as you've seen over the course of time, especially within the past, uh, you know, almost 20 years now since the death of WCW, that all these smaller organizations get these retreads, for lack of a better term, from the world wrestling entertainment. And it's perceived by the casual fan or the wrestling fan yep. at large as a downgrade for that product. So mm-hmm. you've got to be careful on exactly who you get. I mean, Chris Jericho, uh, you know, when you talk about John Moxley, you talk about yep. Pac, those are individuals that left on their own accord. 
So they yes. have a legitimacy to being in all elite wrestling. But when you see someone like a Jake Hager, or you talk about a Luke Harper possibly going to AEW, that to me is an issue because you have individuals that, you know, the casual fan feels, oh, he couldn't cut it in WWE, so he's going here instead. So, and that's that's yeah. something you have to avoid. You have to build your own stars. That's why MJF, to me, is an important key figure down the line that he is protected and also made a to be a superstar because he's got everything that you want. He's got youth, mm -hmm. and he's got extreme talent where you need it the most, and that is his ability to go ahead and project himself as a star. Now he And he, and he also has enough of a work rate and enough of talent inside the ring to get himself yep. by. But most importantly, he projects himself as probably one of the biggest stars for the next decade. And that, to me, is a key factor if AEW can develop him or anybody else along that matter in that same fashion. Well, I, I truly agree with you on that. And also, at the same time, I look at Sammy Guevara. I look at this uh, MJF. I look at this guy, uh, I would say, like, uh, who is this, like, Jungle Boy, for example, uh, uh, even like Hangman Page and all, all the other amazing stars over there. Of course, they, they do have their own storylines. They have their own interesting, I would say, moves, skills, and talents for themselves and even in the show itself. Uh, but of course, sometimes we, we as a fan will be thinking, hey, after John Moxley versus... For example, uh, Kenny Omega or any other stars over there. What's next? Right? They will be thinking what's next because the roster is not too big and it's not too huge of a difference. Like there, there, there's only like this handful of people that will be fighting with one another, and will they have a repeat, a repeat, a repetitive match again? Will they have a repetitive match in terms of fighting against the same wrestler in the next few months or will that be the same or will that be like recently there's there's new guys that came in like for example the bunny and then the uh the the two other guys uh, what's his name again what's their name again uh, santana uh, ortiz santana ortiz there's uh bunny and then there's the uh the there's, there's a few others that came in as well, right? And even like MJF has his own security guard right now, Warlord. And uh, yeah, it, it is it is definitely, I would say, something that we will always be anticipating. Like we will always be thinking, hey, who's going to come next? Who's going to come after this? Right? Who's going to come in the next one week, two weeks, three weeks or four weeks? This, this is something that is very interesting in, in my opinion. Because not everyone is able to have like uh, uh, these surprises all the time. TNA doesn't have all this, right? Sometimes they do have, like uh, they have RVD coming back to TNA. They have a few wrestlers that can come back and forth to TNA as well, like Rhino and etc. But um, I believe AEW is more of a surprise package to, to the fans, to the wrestling fans in my opinion. 
One last thing when we talk about AEW is this, and you mentioned it briefly just now, is the other organizations that have some type of weight here in the United States, not talking about mm-hmm. New Japan or All Japan or AAA or anything of that nature, or you know, maybe I am talking yep. a little bit about the wrestling in Mexico, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about the organizations of a smaller account here in the United States, primarily four of them, Impact, Major League Wrestling, Ring of Honor and the NWA, they're all fighting mm-hmm. for whatever's left as far as the talent is concerned. And I think they're working yes. against themselves in doing so, which to me, if for the most part, is illogical. I mean, MLW has some type of talent exchange with the AEW, but for the most part, they all try to remain mm-hmm. separate with their own separate uh, wrestlers. I think mm-hmm. for the benefit of all elite wrestling and for the benefit of all these organizations, they would be best served by working with each other, similar to what we saw back in the eighties with the territory system way back when. So I ask yep. you, my friend, is this probably, uh, would that probably be a better route to take because this contract exclusivity on a smaller level would be, it seems to me to be a detriment to not only everything as far as non-WWE is concerned here in the United States, but also for the product as a whole to grow in the next decade because there is a little bit of talent out there that could be shown in a bigger spotlight on AEW that would also benefit these smaller organizations as well. Yeah, I I, I believe it is something that will be, I would say, it will be definitely something that AEW has to look into it because we can't always be just waiting for somebody's contract to expire and then we go and acquire them. We should be developing our own kind of like uh, wrestlers, our own talents. And also at the same time, we have to scout from other countries as well. And then from there, if possible, we can do a partnership. Even if AEW can't partner up with NJPW, for example, then probably they can partner up with DDT and they can partner up with some some other pro organizations as well and of course there are also some uh, I would say some ways where they can actually go into for example going like how WWF used to go and hunt for Kurt Angle right they, they attracted Kurt Angle they attracted Mark Henry they are both Olympic uh, for one of them is Olympic gold medalist the other one is like pro weightlifter Right, and they were attracted by the fun, the amazing talents that have been produced in WWF, and also at the same time, all the amazing, I would say, all the awesome storylines and everything else have attracted them. And probably the pay payout is also quite high, so they are also attracted by it as well. And they know that hey, this is something that I can do in the in the next few years on or something that can be very entertaining for me, and I want to do it. So, yeah, it, it, it is better if we can, or I'd say, not just uh, AEW, but probably ROH and all the other smaller organizations, what they can do is that they can actually go and scout for talents in probably universities, in the, in the high schools, and they go and check it out, and they pre-sign them a contract, train them, build them up as well, or even collaborate, partner up with the other smaller groups of the wrestling organizations so that they can actually beat 
WWE so that they can beat you know, WWE and probably acquire WWE and create their own kind of invasion in AEW or whatsoever, right? So it, this, this is something that we, we can actually uh, look into it in the near future. I don't, uh, I think WWE actually ever getting bought out and in like in a similar fashion to WCBD, WCW would probably be something that in Vince McMahon's grave would probably never happen. I mean, if that would be the case, <laughs> I would see him not rolling over the grave. I would see actually him rising like the undertaker from the grave to go ahead and say, <laughs> no, no, I don't think that'll ever happen. I think the WWE would fold before actually, uh, letting itself be acquired by another company. To be honest with you, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that a company that went out and over the course of the past 30 years has gone out of its way to do exactly what you're describing is going to allow itself mm-hmm. to go ahead and do that. Plus, I think it's too financially set in at this point in time to, to, for any yeah. foreseeable future. Uh, maybe 20 years down the line, we can have this conversation. But right now, mm-hmm. I think they're too financially solvent at this point in time as an entity. And Unless they really go off the deep end as a corporation, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. It won't be so soon, but of course, you know, you never know, right? Because a lot of fans, they still follow WWE, but there are some of them that actually went on to AEW. They converted themselves to AEW, like how uh, all of them followed where their wrestlers went. Like when Bret Hart went to WCW, Lex Luger, and all the other amazing ones that went to WCW, their fans followed them. Wherever they go, they'll just follow, right? So it's the same for WWE and AEW. I, I, I can't wait, you know, to actually see how this competition will go, this Wednesday night wars, how, how it's going to be like. And, and, you know, you never know, right? You never know. Well, I'll tell you Especially, what. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, especially if like WWE still doesn't have creative content, doesn't have much creative content going on and people don't really like it, especially for now, like for example, Bobby Lashley and Lana's case. Man, I, I don't I don't understand why they have need to have this and everyone don't really, you know, even though it's it might be entertaining a little, but in my opinion it's like damn, it's a bit crappy. And it's like hurting their relationship <laughs> and even though it's really already hurt you know but um it, it would be best if you know we, we let them settle it privately rather than you know fight fight it all out and make it into a, a huge scene in in the ring well whether or not it's staged or it's all a work as they say in the business or whether mm-hmm. it's it's legit uh you know it, Anytime you involve you know, a marriage in wrestling, it never usually ends up well in real life. I mean, there's yeah. so many marriages that have been broken because of it. But, you know, going mm-hmm. forward, when talking about the WWE, everybody still points, even if you're not a fan of the product anymore and you're tired of all the lame you know, angles and storylines that have really been, mm-hmm. you know, uh, misconstrued and all, or also as well, just still disappointing over the years, similar to what you're talking about now. I mean, you could talk about dozens and dozens of storylines that were really, truly bad and horrible to watch. People still <laughs> come back or, or still identify, especially on a casual level, as far as sports entertainment yep. with the WWE. Maybe the hardcore fan has shifted mm-hmm. away from it a little bit, 
But in the next yep. decade, I still see the WWE coming out on top simply because of the fact they have such an ingrown advantage financially, uh, also as well, yes. a cultural base and a cultural knowledge, which AEW will need 10 years to go ahead and and uh, 10 years of success to go ahead and match up against. And like, like always, every March or April, where are we always looking at? We're always looking at WrestleMania, no matter who mm -hmm. the fan is, no matter where the fan is, they're always paying attention to that. And as long as that remained the case and the WWE is still the focal point at certain given points of time of the year uh, for people to go ahead and view sports entertainment, I think WWE for the foreseeable future still comes out on top. But with the mm -hmm. shifting focus on All Elite Wrestling and little bits here and there growing uh, little by little, you could see a shift as far as people, as far as for that are, uh, you know, from a hardcore, but also a casual audience moving towards other products such as All Elite Wrestling, maybe competing on a level with WWE, but at a, yeah. at a par with each other. I don't see it happening for the, the future, but by the end of this decade, we definitely could be talking something different and we could be talking about a lot more mm -hmm. of a competitive balance within the within the confines of sports entertainment. And I hope that's the case because it makes the overall product that much better. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis so i'll tell you what while you take a second to go ahead and think about the wrestlers that you think have, have prospered over the past decade i'll give you seven okay. of mine. uh let's right. go ahead first i think and this is going to be in no discernible order all right uh, okay so i'm going to say right now seth rollins kenny okay. omega charlotte flair kazuchika okada aj okay. styles Hiroshi mm -hmm. Tanahashi and okay. Kana, aka Asuka. Uh, those to me, individuals, because of the fact that they've been consistent over the course of time. Uh, mm -hmm. Seth Rollins did have to take some time off, and a couple of the others did have some injury issues as well. But for the most part, yep. they have been steady. Daniel Bryan is just short off the list because, he, in fact, he retired for some period of time. But he uh, he was mm -hmm. an outstanding wrestler this decade. Uh, there yep. are a few others as well, but I think those seven for me really stand out. I know those, there's uh, some quality wrestling. I mean, the fact that Kenny Omega uh, and also as well, uh, you know, Kazushka, uh, Kazushka Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, those individuals have had premier matches of the decade. And when, it, when you talk about the best pro wrestling matches of the decade, they'll be included all mm -hmm. of it. Kana, a.k.a. Asuka, she held the NXT title for so long, and the fact that she was dominant everywhere she went, and, and the fact that she's still a major player now, and I think she should be even higher at this point in time, speaks to the type of quality that she has, because I think she is the best women's wrestler right now on the planet. Uh, Charlotte yep. Flair, uh, she is not far behind. I think she's extremely talented. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. she is much like her father and what she can bring to the ring. 
uh, and has yes. you know all what uh, multiple world championships to account for that and her success. So mm -hmm. I definitely think she belongs on this list. And AJ Styles, AJ Styles is someone who dominated in both a TNA slash Impact. He also had yep. incredible matches uh, in the independent scene. He also had in, uh, incredible matches in New Japan and, of course, with the WWE. So I think that yep. uh, he definitely deserves to be on this list. And Seth Rollins, starting out in developmental at this point in time, earlier in mm -hmm. the decade, has gone all the way up to be one of the premier athletes in the WWE uh, speaks to his, uh, you know, longevity. He did get hurt for a little bit, uh, so he would probably be on the lower end of the list because of the time he had to take off mm -hmm. due to injury. But still, he has had some incredible matches for WWE as well. So I've given you a chance to go ahead and hear my list. I want to hear your list for this decade, my friend, on 2010 okay. to 2019. Well, the end of 2019, anyways, on your best wrestlers of this decade. All right. So, not in any order, not in any do not in any order. Number one will be Randy Orton. Okay, he has been consistent. He has always been in the top, top notch. Even though he's not always fighting for the championship, but he still is able to go on with go on go forth with different wrestlers and especially different amazing wrestlers like AJ Styles currently and etc. etc. And then, of course, number two, we I'll have AJ Styles. Okay, he he's phenomenal. He is like amazing, and he is really a, I would say a one of the talented and gifted wrestlers that I've watched, even when he was in TNA to when he's in NJPW, he's in many independent scenes and even WWE as well. He has built a lot of fan base from there, and he is a really hard worker, I would say. One of the hardest worker in this industry as well. And then number three will be Kenny Omega. Okay, this, this guy is really incredible. He, he's, he has built a brand from nothing to something and became so huge in Japan and in the U.S. and all around the world. So this, this guy is really amazing. And then the Young Bucks is the, is the fourth one. Okay, so these two, okay, Matt Jackson and and uh, his brother, both of them are really amazing tag team, like one of the best tag team that I've ever seen ever since the Hardy Boys came. Right, these two, if they were to have a dream match, I would like them to fight with the Hardy Boys. It will be epic, right? And then um. And and the the fifth one that I would say is that this I'll say the sixth one because you know the young bucks comprises of two persons. So the sixth in my opinion will be Shinsuke Nakamura. Right? He he has done so much. He has won the NXT title. He has came from you know Japan to WWE and he's able to stay there for quite some time it's pretty amazing he's not like ec3 <laughs> he's not like uh the other wrestlers that has been there and then they're just not no not much creative not much creativity on their storylines for them so they they were left you know 
not able to do so much for WWE, but for him, he has been consistently doing so well in WWE. And then uh, number seven, in my opinion, will be Kofi Kingston. Like he he has he has triumphed over the second rate uh, wrestling where he where he actually was being told, even though it's a storyline saying that he will never he will always be a B plus player, he will never be a A. But uh, in my opinion, he has done his best. That's why he actually gotten the opportunity to be the world he- heavyweight, the WWE champion. Um, yeah, so this this guy is number seven, and then number eight will, in my opinion, will be uh, Cesaro. If even though he has a he he has a, he had a feud with Sheamus, but in the end they they were put together to be one of the leading tag teams in Raw and SmackDown, and then now. Uh, even though he's not having that much of the opportunities for titles, but he's still one of the guys that that is being pushed uh, and being helping the other wrestlers as well. So I, I believe that he's one of the one of the great one. Um, and then number nine, uh, in my opinion, will be Adam Cole. Yeah, Adam Cole, baby, is. Uh, amazing he he has been uh you know he he has been also very hard working very one of the very very talented wrestler in terms of his mic skills in terms of his moves and I love his love how he does his finishing move it's it's really incredible and how he actually been able to play the the bad guy right he's able to play it very well um yeah, this this guy has a lot of potential, and and the last one will be a little bit of bubble, Chris Jericho. Like, <laughs> interestingly, even though he he has been in WWE for so long and he left, he went for he went on to perform with his rock band, but he came back and he's now the AEW champion. So I, I truly believe like this guy is well really amazing. He even though he's reaching fifties already, but yet he is still performing and still doing his best to entertain his fans and the follow the followers all over the world. So these are my ten ten people that I really believe that they have done so much and so well in the past ten years. That's a great list there for you. And I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I do agree with you definitely on uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and also Chris Jericho. They would be right after the list that I was explaining as well. I think those mm-hmm. two have also been, at various points of time of the decade, uh, spectacular. Shinsuke Nakamura oh, yeah. especially, I think, as you know, his time in Japan with New Japan and also coming over to NXT and dominating NXT, I think, warrants uh, a strong consideration and you'll see both of those names along with a leather uh, all the other great names on that list mentioned as well for some of the top wrestlers of the decade so excellent list right there for you well before we head on out my Thank friend you. you know i gotta ask yep. you i mentioned it before it is racing shoe along uh host of the regacy show which you got to catch today on anchor and also other great podcasts uh, podcast outlets as mm-hmm. well but you know before yep. we go I got to have you explain mm-hmm. to people why people need to check out the Regacy Show. 
All right. Okay. So basically, the Regency Show is something that I believe will help millennial entrepreneurs because we have the best entrepreneurs around the world coming onto the show where I get to pick their brain and they are able to share with us their life story, their success tips, their failures, and how you can overcome them, and etc. etc. And these people. They are not just any Tom, Dick, and Harry. They are the best entrepreneurs such as Gary Vee, such as Grant Cardone, such as Steve Sims, and many more that's along the list as well. And I really implore you guys to actually listen to it because it will help you grow your mindset and your definitely your resiliency in your entrepreneurial journey. So I really hope that you guys can actually tune into it, and it is actually the Regacy. So R A Y G A C Y space show, the Regacy show. All right. So go and check it out on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and many other platforms that's hosting podcasts. That's awesome. It is the Regacy show, indeed. Catch it today on every major podcast outlet. Well, my friend, it's always great talking to you. I thank you so much for cooperating because we've got that time difference. People don't realize when we're recording this, there's an (laughs) 18-hour difference when we do this. So I truly appreciate every cooperation in the world that you've made for going ahead and talking to us today. I cannot thank you enough for being such a great guest as always. Hopefully in the next decade, we can talk many more times about pop culture and so many other things right here on The Pop Culture cosmos okay let's talk about the flopcast where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books movies conventions music saturday morning cartoons oh don't forget the coffee lots of weird obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s and chickens yeah chickens this will be the stupidest half hour of your week we guarantee it you can find us on the eso network and flopcast.net you're listening to a weeby geeks network podcast this has been a broadcast of the eso network be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our eso patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.